bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Nebogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, March 20th, 2012. I'm going to start today's podcast with a discussion about a recent colloquy on the Senate floor. This colloquy has direct implications for the future of tax extenders in the context of tax reform. I'm also going to share a quick update on the federal budget process. Then, in our New Market Tax Credit discussion, I'll give you an update on the status of New Market's tax credit extension legislation. In our Renewable Energy segment, I'll discuss last week's votes on energy tax extenders. I'll also discuss new guidance released by the IRS on Section 1603 cash grants. And I'll share state news from Florida, where a bill recently passed that would restore some expired state tax incentives for renewable energy. In our low-income housing tax credit section, I'll share an announcement about the National Department Association and the National Multi-Housing Council and their legislative priorities for the upcoming year. I'll also examine a bill that was introduced in Congress that is related to the Redevelopment Agency saga in California. And finally, I'll share some of the findings of the most recent out-of-reach report published by the National Low-Income Housing Coalition. If you're ready, let's get started. As you may know, last week the Senate voted on a number of amendments to a transportation bill. Several of these amendments related to tax extenders. Unfortunately, the provisions that would have extended the wind energy production tax credit and the new market tax credit were not approved for addition to the bill. Now I'll discuss these amendments in a little more detail later in today's podcast. But first, I want to discuss some tax items that did pass and then share some related news. The tax items that did pass, that did get attached to the Senate Transportation Bill, are two, or at least two that are relevant to most of our listeners. First, the threshold on bank-qualified taxes and bonds was raised from $10 million to $30 million beginning July 1, 2012 through June 30, 2013. The second that passed would allow AMT relief on private activity bonds for the remainder of 2012. Now, these were attached to the House, to the Senate Transportation Bill. That bill now remains uh, in the Senate pending review in the House. Now, the related news that I wanted to share is on March 14th, Senators Harry Reid, Mitch McConnell, Max Baucus, and Orrin Hatch engaged in a colloquy. Now, in this colloquy, they discussed the previous day's tax extenders votes. Now, this conversation is notable for its immediate and long-term implication for tax extenders, and more specifically, for the fate of temporary tax provisions, such as the Energy Production Tax Credit and the New Market Tax Credit. Now, Senator Reid started the discussion by describing the extension of tax provisions that have expired or are expiring this year as an issue of mutual interest to both parties. Senator Reid noted that the provisions benefit families, businesses, and the economy as a whole. He said that although the Senate was unable to address the package of extenders as part of the transportation bill, he was encouraged by the level of interest among senators in extending these provisions in a timely fashion. 
Senator Reid welcomed the opportunity to work with his colleagues on tax extenders in the near term. He said, and I quote, it is important that we take care of this early in the year so that taxpayers can plan and make investment decisions, close quote. In his response, Senator McConnell agreed that the tax provisions in question are important to families and businesses. And he said, and I quote, I would expect that Congress would act on these sooner rather than later, close quote. However, he also noted that there are a number of lawmakers who have serious questions about some tax extenders. To address those questions, Senator McConnell suggested a bipartisan effort to review tax extenders and recommended to the Senate which should be dropped, which need modification, and which are worthy of support as currently constructed. Senator McConnell then tied the issue to the need for tax reform. He said, and I quote, The repeated expiration and renewal of these various targeted tax credits and the fact our corporate tax rate will soon be the highest among our major trading partners underscores the need for Congress to take on corporate tax reform at the earliest possible date. Close quote. In response, Senator Baucus agreed that in preparation for tax reform, it would be important for lawmakers to examine these provisions to determine whether they are providing the most bang for the buck. However, he noted that tax reform will take some time and urged immediate consideration for the provisions that have already expired. Senator Baucus said, and I quote, We should provide certainty to taxpayers by extending them through this year as soon as possible. Each day we fail to extend these incentives means jobs for our economy. I am glad we are working on a bipartisan basis to extend these provisions, and I hope we can do so as soon as possible. Close quote. In his remarks, Senator Hatch said the explosion of temporary tax provisions in recent years has been a very notable and problematic trend. He suggested that if a provision is worthy of being in the tax code, then optimally it should be permanent. He cited the R&D credit, research and development credit that is, as an example. Senator Hatch also suggested that in the meantime, before tax reform is accomplished, the Senate Finance Committee should debate the merits of each of the extended provisions that have expired and vote accordingly. You can find a copy of the colloquy online at www.novoco.com. Now turning to the federal budget, Last week, the Congressional Budget Office announced that the U.S. budget deficit this year will be larger than projected at the start of the year. The deficit for 2012 will be approximately $1.2 trillion, which is about $93 billion more than forecast two months ago. In addition, the CBO noted that although the deficit is starting to shrink, it remains very large by historical standards. CBO Director Doug Elmendorf noted that how much and how quickly the deficit declines will depend on how well the economy performs, but also on the fiscal policy choices made by lawmakers. Which brings me to the latest budget news, including last week's release of the Joint Committee on Taxation's estimates of the budget effects of the revenue provisions contained in the President's fiscal year 2013 budget proposal. Those estimates include the potential cost of extending the new market tax credit the cost of making several changes to the long housing tax credit, and the cost of extending and expanding renewable energy tax incentives. You can find a copy of the projected budget effects online at www.novaco.com. Simply go to the Hot Topics page and select the link for tax credits in the federal budget. Now finally, 
House Republicans are preparing to unveil their budget proposal for fiscal year 2013 today. And rumors suggest that some Republicans are pushing to demand cuts in fiscal year 2013 appropriations in that proposal, cuts that would be larger than those agreed to in the debt ceiling discussions last year, or I should say the debt ceiling deal last year. Now, I'll discuss the House Republican budget in next week's podcast, so stay tuned. We'll be looking for any references to renewable energy tax credits, historic tax credits, long housing tax credits, and or new market tax credits. In new market tax credit news, and kind of returning for a moment back to last week's vote on tax extenders, I do have a little more information about that vote and what it means for the new market tax credit program. The $3.5 billion one-year extension of the New Market Tax Credit Program was proposed as part of a package that Senator Pat Roberts, Senator from Kansas, offered as an amendment to Senate Bill 1813, the Transportation Bill. Unfortunately, but as expected, Senator Roberts' amendment did not pass. His amendment needed 60 votes to pass, and the final tally was 41 votes in favor and 57 votes against. However, it's important to note that the amendment failed not because of the new market tax credit provisions, but because of other provisions on the bill. And, as I noted last week, the fact that the new market tax credit extension was included in a Republican leadership amendment is a positive indication for extension at some point in the future, hopefully near future. In the meantime, in anticipation of the program's renewal, the CDFI fund has indicated it will move forward with a 2012 round, just as it did last year, before the program was last extended. And if you're planning on applying for new market tax credits in the next round, and you'd like some assistance, or at least discuss how we could help you, please contact Owen Gray in our San Francisco office, or contact a Novogratic partner in the office near you. In renewable energy tax credit news, also, looking back at last week's Senate vote, there was a provision that would have extended the production tax credit and the Section 1603 cash grant program. It was an amendment that was voted on, and unfortunately, the vote came out even, 49-49, and the amendment needed 60 votes to pass and therefore was not agreed to. However, despite the Senate's failure to extend these incentives, namely the production tax credit and the Section 1603 cash grant program, the outcome actually could have been a lot worse And I say that because another measure was voted on by the Senate the same day. And that measure sought to repeal all energy-specific tax credits, including those for renewable energy. It would have taken the revenue saved and reduced the corporate tax rate. That amendment would have actually made the production tax credit expire retroactively to January 1, 2012, meaning tax credits already expected to be claimed this year, wouldn't have been available. And as I mentioned, fortunately, that bill did not pass. It failed by a vote of 72 against and only 26 for. Turning to a more positive note on the energy tax credit front, on March 15th, a bipartisan group of six senators, led by Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, introduced Senate Bill 2201, the American Energy and Job Promotion Act. The bill calls for a two-year extension of the Wind Energy Production Tax Credit, pushing back its sunset date to January 1, 2015. Senate Bill 2201 would also extend the production tax credit for biomass, geothermal, landfill, gas, trash, hydropower, and marine and hydrokinetic energy. 
by one year to January 1, 2015. A copy of the bill can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Also last week, the Internal Revenue Service published Notice 2012-23, and it provides guidance in a question-and-answer format on tax issues involved in Section 1603 cash grants. As listeners may recall, the Department of Treasury established an email address for Section 1603 questions, an address to which taxpayers and their representatives could submit some of the questions contained in Notice 2012-23. The IRS received additional questions by phone and fax. There are five questions and answers presented in the notice. Forrest Milder of Nixon Peabody discusses the guidance in his next column in the Novogratz Journal of Tax Credits. So if you're not already a subscriber, I invite you to request a sample copy by sending an email to products at novaco.com. And in the meantime, you can review a copy of this notice online at www.energytaxcredits.com. And I'd be curious if you do take a moment to review the notice, what items in there you found of particular significance and not already well understood by the industry. And if you yourself have any questions about Section 1603, please contact my partner, Tony Grapponi, in our Boston office or Stephen Tracy in our San Francisco office. And lastly, but maybe more importantly, I invite you to discuss this latest guidance and other renewable energy topics at Novogratz and Company's upcoming Financing Renewable Energy Conference. This conference will take place on May 3rd and 4th in San Francisco, California. And before closing, I'd like to turn to the state of Florida. As one of its last actions before adjourning earlier this month, the Florida legislature passed energy policy legislation that reinstates expired renewable energy tax credit programs. The House of Representatives voted 116 to 2 to send HB 7117 to Governor Rick Scott's desk. The bill is the first energy policy legislation that the state has passed in four years. HB 7117 would resurrect the state's Renewable Energy Technologies Investment Tax Credit and Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit programs. They expired in 2010. Combined, these programs would provide as much as $20 million in credits each year. Under the proposed Investment Tax Credit Program's renewal, an annual $10 million in credits would be available for biofuel production, distribution, and storage. As for the Production Tax Credit Program, renewable energy generation facilities would be eligible for a credit equal to one cent for each kilowatt hour of electricity produced, up to a total of $5 million a year in tax credits. That amount actually would increase to $10 million in fiscal year 2013. Now, in addition to reestablishing these programs and making other revisions to Florida's energy policy, HB 7117 would revise siting and permitting processes and expand the state's renewable fuel standard to include alternative fuel. The majority of the bill's provisions were proposed by State Commissioner of Agriculture Adam Putnam during his presentation to the House Energy and Utilities Subcommittee back in January. Now, House members and some industry groups have described the final version of the bill as modest, and they say it doesn't go far enough to advance Florida's renewable energy goals. For example, HB 7117 does not reference any goals towards the creation of a renewable energy portfolio standard. However, if enacted, these policy changes are expected to diversify Florida's energy portfolio, expand energy production, and create jobs in the state of Florida. If you want to review a copy of the bill, that's HB 7117, just go to www.energytaxcredits.com. In local housing tax credit news, 
Last week, the National Apartment Association and National Multi-Housing Council announced their 2012 policy agenda. The groups say their top priorities for Capitol Hill in the year ahead include housing finance reform, comprehensive tax overhaul, and cost-effective regulations. Specifically, the groups urge Congress to retain a federal backstop for multifamily mortgages in the new housing finance system, but require borrowers to pay a risk-based price for the guarantee to protect the taxpayers and to ensure the soundness of the housing finance system. The groups also urge Congress to enact comprehensive tax reform, a tax reform that equally addresses individual and corporate tax codes because many jobs creating businesses, including apartment owners and developers, organize as partnerships, which are based at the individual rate. They also want Congress to maintain current tax treatment of carried interests, as well as retain the deduction for business interest, protect the loan tax credit program, and extend current estate tax legislation. Also on their list is to urge Congress to demonstrate that the benefits of new rules and regulations justify the costs of complying with them. Now, if you want additional information about these priorities, simply go to www.naahq.org backslash government affairs. Now, speaking of legislative priorities, California's Redevelopment Agency saga has traveled from the Golden State all the way to Washington, D.C. On March 6th, Representative Joe Baca, a Democrat from California, introduced H.R. 4144, the Strengthening Economic Development Through Affordable Housing Act. H.R. 4144 would make community housing development organizations eligible to receive direct funding from the State Small Business Credit Initiative, or SSBCI, in order to be used for affordable housing development. The SSBCI was created by the Small Business Jobs Act of 2010. This $1.5 billion initiative provides funding to state programs that support lending to small businesses and manufacturers. H.R. 4144 amends Section 3003 of the Jobs Act so that community housing development organizations within a state would be eligible to receive direct funding awarded to that state. Not-for-profit agencies and community development corporations would have access to funds under this program to improve blighted areas and to spur economic development. The organizations could use the funds to develop, acquire, construct, rehabilitate, maintain, operate, or manage housing projects, housing projects that provide housing that's affordable for low or moderate income households. At the time of this recording, the bill had been referred to the House Committee on Financial Services. Representative Baca said that he introduced the measure in response to the loss of local redevelopment agencies in California, which had provided state-level support for local economic development projects, as well as, of course, affordable housing. California law mandated that redevelopment agencies set aside 20% of their funding to develop low- and moderate-income housing. When the agencies were dissolved last month, communities lost that money. At the time of this recording, however, there are two bills moving through the California Assembly that would preserve the more than $1.5 billion that the agencies had reserved for housing development at the time of their dissolution. It's unclear at this time which, if either, will make it to the governor's desk, and furthermore, whether or not the government would sign the bill. Now, I've been following the Reasonable Agency dissolution for a year now, and I would encourage you to check out my previous podcasts if you'd like to learn more about the Redevelopment Agency dissolution. In closing, I'd like to share with you some details from the National Low-Income Housing Coalition's annual report on housing affordability. 
In their report, entitled Out of Reach 2012, America's Forgotten Housing Crisis, the National Low Income Housing Coalition reports that a full-time worker must earn $18.25 per hour in order to afford rent and utilities on a modest two-bedroom rental unit without spending more than 30% of income on housing costs. By contrast, the average American earns just $14.15 per hour. Out of Reach's 2012 report is a side-by-side comparison of wages and rents in every county, metropolitan area, combined non-metropolitan area, and state within the United States. For each jurisdiction, the report calculates the amount of money a household must earn in order to afford a rental unit in a range of sizes at the area's fair market rent. This is based on the generally accepted affordability standard of paying no more than 30% of income for housing costs. In the report's preface, HUD Secretary Sean Donovan notes that high unemployment makes renting unaffordable for many people, particularly in rural areas. Furthermore, renters are priced out even in more affluent parts of the country where stagnant homeownership rates put pressure on the rental market. More information can be found online at www.nlihc.org. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. We'll have a lot more updates from across the country, as well as more specifically, information on the House Republicans' budget. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archive discussions are available online at www.novogratik.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratik Report on tax credits in iTunes. Novogratik and Company, LLP, is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novago.com.